I want to uh, say thank you to Mark and Josh for switching around for me last week. It, I was a little bit under the weather, not bad, but uh, I wanted to follow the protocol that we put in place and be a good example. And so uh, I was at home last week, but it is really good to be here. And I always miss when we are not uh, together. Now, the last time that we were here together, I told you the story about Brian and Rosa, who are pastor friends of mine, who uh, have really been in a very difficult kind of dry season of ministry, and the church has been difficult, and now they're, they're without a church, and with that also, there comes their home, because they were living in the church parsonage, which is provided by the church, and the church said, you got to be out by March 1st, and so it's a situation where uh, a family really has uh, a, a tremendous amount of needs, uh, and... Uh, and so I just said right there on the spot, I was like, I just felt like, hey, maybe we could just give what cash we have today and we could just support these guys. And so I just want to say that Axis that day gave uh, over $3,800 to Brian and Rosa. And they were so just, um, they were so blessed by that. I, Brian called me just in tears and you gave them relief. And I just want to say, Brian said, thank you so much. And I said, well, Brian, I want you to know this is good for us, too, because it's, I want to continue to create that culture within our church that says, first of all, the Bible says, he who refreshes others, will he himself be refreshed? And, and so it's good to be a church family that says, we want to refresh others, right? And it's also good to remind somebody else who's kind of, you know, serving on the front lines of ministry to say, hey, look, there are good churches out there, and God's people are with you, and we love you, and we appreciate you. So thank you guys for doing that, and, uh, and just continue to be part of what we're doing here. I, I, I find the Access experience just to be such a positive and healing uh, experience. Well, we spent the last uh, few weeks of 2021 looking into a scripture, like I said earlier, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, and we, we learned this was during a time in Israel's history where King Solomon built and dedicated the temple to the Lord his God. And Solomon prayed at the dedication of the temple in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. But then in 7, God answered him and he said, listen, if you stay humble and you pray and you seek me, I'm going to hear from heaven, I'm going to heal your land, and I'm going to forgive your sins. But I want you to look down a few verses from there because here's the other side. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 verse 19 and 20 says, but... So there's an if, there's a then, and there's a but. But if you turn away and forsake the decrees and commands I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot Israel from my land, which I have given them, and I will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Now imagine, friends, you are here in the very presence of God, the temple where the Ark of the Covenant now dwells and now resides, the dedication of the temple. And God says, look, I have this great relationship with you. If you follow me, if you're humble, if you pray, I will forgive you and heal you. But in the middle of that great relationship, the people of God say, nah, we think we're going to do something else. And they chose to follow the gods of other lands. And in fact, what God promised is exactly what happened. Now, fast forward from there about 400 years into the future, and we're going to find that Israel was in a heap of trouble. In fact, the, the kingdom has now divided between what was called the northern kingdom, still called Israel, and the southern kingdom, now called Judah. Both kingdoms of Israel were now 
in trouble. The northern kingdom of Israel was taken captive by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom of Judah was spared because of the faithfulness of their king Hezekiah, but then Hezekiah's son Manasseh took over and he was not a good king. The people ignored the warnings of God and the prophets of God, and they went off in their own way, and so a king named Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon comes around 586 B.C., takes all the people, the poorest people from Jerusalem, and and leaves Jeremiah, takes the best and the brightest, leaves the poorest people in Jerusalem. So 2 Kings chapter 24 tells us about this. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar called all, carried all Jerusalem into exile, all the officers and fighting men, and all the skilled workers and artisans. A total of 10,000, only the poorest people of the land were left. Here were the consequences of not following God. So here they were in a foreign land, in an uncomfortable place, experiencing strange things. We decided to call this series Stranger Things. Have any of you seen the Netflix series Stranger Things? I have not, all right? It's not one of the shows that I watch. I'm pretty simple. I love Andy Griffith. I, I, like, uh, I like Family Feud. It's my all-time favorite show. Steve Harvey is hilarious. And, and I still trail along with a show on NBC called The Blacklist. But other than that, other than old reruns of old uh, of, uh, sitcoms, that's pretty much my TV uh, watching. But I did read on Netflix, thank goodness for Netflix, that Stranger Things is a show set in a fictional town, a rural town of Hawkins, Indiana, in the 1980s. A nearby scientific research laboratory secretly does experiments that look into the supernatural. And because of their experiences, they inadvertently created a portal into an alternate dimension called the Upside Down. And the Upside Down creates havoc in the right now. Anybody ever been there? Going through a time of trial or finding yourself in an unusual place or feeling that you were in a world that seems upside down? The tension in your relationship seems out of the ordinary. The anxiety in your life seems to come out of nowhere. The political environment makes you feel out of control. The false security of your job now leaves you out of work. The recent decisions you've made are out of character. And bottom line, friends, you find yourself in an upside-down world where one strange thing after another is happening, and you find yourself maybe asking the question, I never thought I would be here before, and does God really care about me? Is God still good? And what I have seen people do often in the middle of this kind of upside-down strange kind of place, is they tend to do one of three things. They either blame God and say, God, this is your fault. Where are you? Do you love me still? Or are you even out there? They become angry with God, and then they say, God, this is your fault, and they they become very disillusioned with him, or they become very bitter. I don't even believe God could do this. Therefore, I'm bitter against whatever's out there, or maybe I don't even believe in him anymore. Now, can we all agree that those three reactions, blame, anger, and bitterness, get us absolutely nowhere? And so maybe there is a better way. How do we handle ourselves when our faith is put to the test in an upside-down world? So let's go back to the beginning where we started, King Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon. The people of God have disobeyed him. They found themselves in a strange place. 
They are in exile. They are in captivity in Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon uh, is basically asking them to do things against the will of God. And that is when we are introduced to three young gentlemen and another guy named Daniel. And the three young gentlemen are named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're going to look at Daniel in another week in this series, but also in this series, we're going to look in the lives of Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, all of which happened around the same period of time in Israel, where we're going to see in this captivity in Babylon how the people of God reacted when they found themselves in an upside-down world. Now listen to what it says about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 1. These were young men without any physical defect. Wow. Handsome showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. These guys were prime time. Daniel chapter 1, verse 20 says, In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. So King Nebuchadnezzar he, he brings the best and the brightest into his kingdom, but he wants to completely convert them to his way of thinking. He actually not only removes them from their homeland, he changes their name. And do you know with your name comes your identity? And when he changed their name to more Babylonian-type names, they were names that had significance to King Nebuchadnezzar and to their gods. And so he wants them basically to forget their God, his God. He wants them to forget that the God of the universe, their God, is their actual God. Now, imagine, you're in a strange land, strange place, asked to do strange things. How would you react? How would you react? Would you blame God? Would you respond in anger? Would you become bitter? How would you allow God to use you? Well, we're going to look at maybe another alternative today. So I'm going to walk you through this passage, and the first thing I want you to see is what I'm going to call the crisis of faith. The king decided to build a huge monument to his kingdom. It was a tremendous undertaking, and, and uh, I can't imagine how it was accomplished with ancient technology, but it was. He was absolute ruler. He took all of the resources, and in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high. Think about that. I mean, at the highest point of this building, we might be at 26, 27 feet. 90 feet high? And, and, and nine feet wide, and it's set up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned all the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officers or officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. And after the dedication ceremony, a decree went forth in the land. They were to bow down before the golden image and worship it whenever the musical instrument sounded. Seemed like a fair law to some. It applied to everybody. When you hear the instrument, bow down. Verse 4 says, Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the the, the, the sound of all kinds of music, which I love that. I'm like, I wonder, is it like jazz, you know? Is it like heavy metal? I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, it's right there. You're going to hear all kinds of music. And when you do, fall down and worship the image of, the goal, of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown in to a blazing fire. 
uh, years ago when I used to lead uh, uh, junior high or high school camps uh, up at Round Lake Christian Assembly, we did this thing that we found in the 1950s uh, called Duck and Cover. Have you guys ever seen that video? It's a 1950s video when the nuclear war might happen, and, and they were practicing for what might happen during a nuclear war. And when the sound goes off, the, everybody on these videos, it's hilarious because they all jump under like tables and they put their you know, hands and they go against the wall. And so these videos, as they show these kids, they hear the sound, everybody just like, like if I hit a sound today, all of you would jump under the chair. And so all week long, every time you heard this air horn, all the kids were supposed to jump under their chairs. A lot of fun, you know, crazy stuff you do at Christian camp, right? And, and they were, that was an, an effort to try to help protect them from nuclear war or the fire. Well, Nebuchadnezzar said, when you hear the sound, you need to fall down. You need to worship the image of gold. And if not, you will be thrown into blazing fire. Talk about a crisis of faith. Now, friends, you will probably face in your life, several times, a crisis of faith. Something unexpected happens, and your faith is tested. Your health, a loss of job, a relationship challenge, tragic death in your life. Or maybe it is the pressure that you feel from people around you in your life. Right now, our, our friend JB, his family is facing that in, uh, in his homeland. And you may have seen online that while they had an election that was a democratically held election, the military in his country have now taken over and at gunpoint are forcing people to change their vote so that they might somehow be able to say, we as the military force are legitimate in this land. And people are very threatened and very fearful. And today, before worship, we prayed for JB and his family and what they're experiencing in his homeland. A crisis even a crisis of faith. I will submit to you that there are times when the crowd or a group of people or friends or social media majority or those elected to office will ask you to do something that is in direct opposition to the laws, decrees, or priorities of the Almighty God. And that is a moment that's called a crisis of faith. That is a point of decision. And then there, secondly, is a cost of choosing that one way or the other. For these three faithful men, the cost of not obeying the decree was made very clear. If you do not obey, you will die. You'll be thrown into a blazing furnace. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were being called upon to compromise their beliefs and their values. If they obeyed Nebuchadnezzar's decree, it meant breaking the law of God. They knew what God's law said. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 and 6. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. My friends, we have talked a lot in the past few weeks about the posture of God's people, humility, prayer, Seeking God's face. We've talked about obeying your leaders and respecting them as Paul writes in the book of Romans. But there are times when, when we don't do that. When the law of man is in direct violation of the laws of God. We follow the laws of God. And yes, there will be consequences for this. 
during the coronavirus, churches in California have faced significant pressure from the government. I, I did not always agree with our governor here in Ohio, but one thing I really did appreciate is that he was very careful to not infringe upon churches. His orders excluded churches. Now, we chose for a period of time to not meet, and we wanted to respect and honor that, but when we were going to re-engage, we made direct contact with the governor's office when we decided to have worship outside in the parking lot. <coughs> and they were very clear that Governor DeWine is a man of faith and that he was not going to restrict churches. But the situation in California was very different. Months and months and months went by. Churches were banned from meeting. <coughs> Pastors were uh, being threatened with citations and the loss of even their building or the turning off of their power. Just this week, according to ABC News, California Governor Gavin Newsom's office issued revised guidelines for indoor church services after the Supreme Court lifted the state's ban on indoor worship <coughs> during the coronavirus pandemic, but left in place restrictions on singing and chanting. No singing, no chanting. In the most significant legal victory against California's COVID-19 health orders, the high court issued rulings late Friday in two cases where churches argued the restrictions violated their religious liberty. The churches were arguing that people are allowed to meet in all kinds of venues, including uh, bars and <coughs> stores, <coughs> excuse me, but they are not able to meet in church. I'm going to get this together, so don't worry, friends. The churches faced a cost for following the command of the Lord to not forsake meeting together. But the cost of not following was far greater. And what I'm saying is that early on in this whole situation in the pandemic, we actually followed those orders in our state. But as it went on and we learned more data, I told our team that, uh, that we, we're going to continue to meet no matter what. We're going to come together and meet together, and those who would like to do that can choose to do that. And those who are, are home, they can choose to do that. But we're going to continue to meet together because I had a strong conviction as we went further and further along in this that if we did not meet, that I was in direct violation of the law of God, which said in the book of Hebrews that we should not forsake meeting together of the followers of Jesus. And so as a conviction, we continue to start to meet again. And, and we've seen, thank you, Josh, uh, we've seen while other people have decided, um, our church friends, national average is about 30% of the church's Attendance is back up to where it is. We're seeing 75 to 80% back here at Access, and I think, that, I think that's great. Momentary pause. Thank you. Intermission. Friends, my point is, there is a cost of following, and there is a cost to choose not to follow. And, and as for me, the Bible says in Joshua, when he was asked the same question, he said, you choose this day who you will serve, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now, amazingly, the king gave him a second chance in Daniel chapter 3, verse 13. It says, so these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the, z the zither, Never heard of that. The lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music. If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, 
you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to save you from my hand. Here Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful man in that part of the world. He had conquered nation after nation with his mighty armies, and he had unquestioned authority, and he said in his pride that when you hear the sound, you bow down and you worship me. Every day, friends, you are going to face choices. Will you stand up for God and his values, or will you compromise? Number three, there is confidence in God's faithfulness. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego told the king that their God was bigger than his punishment and bigger than uh, him even himself. They were unwilling to compromise their beliefs, and they decided to stand on the side of God. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into a blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. In In essence, they told him, bring it on. I mean, can you imagine facing the death penalty and having that kind of confidence in God, your king? I like what gotquestions.org says about this. It says, as believers, we know that God is able to deliver. However, however, we also know that God does not always do so. Romans 5 tells us that God may allow trials and difficulties in our lives to build our character, strengthen our faith, or for other reasons unknown to us, we may not always understand the purpose of our trials, but God simply asks us to trust him, even when it's not easy. They go on to say, we also know that God does not always guarantee that we will never suffer or experience death, but he does promise that he will be with us. And I love this song that we sang earlier, Another in the Fire, and I love that verse Even if he doesn't, I will praise him. Even if he doesn't, I will praise him. Why? Because God's will is God's will. And whatever happens in our life, we know that God is going to walk with us through it. I also love the verse that says, we count the joy in every battle because I know that's where you will be. Some of you have faced some incredible battles in your life. And would you just say, that God's there in the good times, but how many of you have found a deeper dependence on God in the bad times? I mean, you went through a divorce that was super challenging. You lost a loved one that you're having trouble recovering from. You had some crisis in your family or, or a child that left the faith or some hardship in some way that you didn't know how you were ever gonna recover from it. And in the middle of that, God showed up God loved you in a deeper way. God met you in the flames. Well, here's what happened. Verse 19 says, Nebuchadnezzar ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. That's how mad he was. And he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent that the furnace, and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. No way out of that, except number four, our companion in the fire. 
To everybody's amazement, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were still alive. Miraculously, they were untied. And instead of these men being in the fire, three men being in the fire, there were four. Verse 24 says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in his amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, Certainly, your majesty. Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Hmm, I wonder who that is. The very presence of the almighty God was with those guys in the fire. And it seems to me that the times in my life when I have experienced the most pain are also the times when I have experienced the most peace and the most presence. Isaiah 41.10, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God is with you in the fire. Jesus promised that, that no matter where you go, he says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It is in the midst of the fire that the personal presence of our Lord is experienced in some of the greatest ways of your life. And some of you have been under pressure. And I'm just saying, rather than blame or anger or bitterness, if you would allow yourself to be humble, you will experience a deeper level of of care and concern and love and relationship with the almighty God of the universe. Now, ultimately, this led not only to the deliverance of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but it also changed the heart of a king. And when Nebuchadnezzar saw, what, what Nebuchadnezzar saw was the power of God And he saw it firsthand in the lives of these three men. And then he called them out of the fire. Listen, they weren't even singed from the fire. I can't even like grill pork chops without my eyebrows taking a significant hit. You know? I mean, these guys were in the fire. They didn't even smell like fire. They were were the same, except they were changed. Nebuchadnezzar began to praise God. He even issued another decree concerning Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in verse 29, it says, Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces. (laughs) He didn't have a complete change of heart. (laughs) And their homes be turned into piles of rubbles, for no other God can save us in this way. Now, I don't believe that he had a salvation moment there. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were protected, and it changed the mind of the king in that moment. And friends, I want to tell you this. If we ever are going to see a change of heart in people, it will come as we continue to follow Jesus personally. As we, as we continue, as the people of God, in the midst of the pain and the pressure and the hardship of this life, when Jesus meets us there, That testimony, that lifestyle, that example will be what changes the heart of men and women around us. So friends, I just want to ask you, do you have the same type of unyielding faith that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had? Imagine, you think you're under pressure. Imagine the pressure these guys had. I'm always inspired by the stories of martyrs, people who gave up their life for the faith. In Fox's Book of Martyrs, There's the story of a Christian named Polycarp. Many of you probably have heard of his story. He was a leader in the church of Smyrna, which is a church mentioned in the book of Revelation. He was was mentored by the apostle John. 
Polycarp was going to be put to death for his faith in Jesus. Let me read you a bit about him. Polycarp was so full of the grace of God that those who were present were astonished, and many felt sorry that so godly a man should be put to death. Nevertheless, Polycarp was carried before the proconsul and condemned to be burned at the stake. Denounce Christ and you will be released. And with a calm and unexplainable peace, he said, Eighty and six years I served him, and he never once wronged me. How can I turn my back on the king who has served me and saved me? I will not denounce Jesus Christ. So why do you delay? Light the fire. And they didn't even nail him to the stake as they normally did. They knew this guy was not going to move. Now, I can't imagine the horror of that, the pain of being burned alive. Nothing could have prepared him for that moment. But friends, nothing could have prepared him for the sight he beheld when death gave way to life and faith gave way to victory and he locked eyes with the one that he had served for 86 years. The first and the last, the king of kings, his savior, standing there with a victor's crown in his hand. And I love that idea that Polycarp looked him in the eyes and said, light the flame. Light the match, brothers. Light the torch. Because when it comes to giving up everything for Christ, I'm willing to make the choice. I'm willing to make the decision. There are times where God steps in in time and space like he did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There are times where he saves you from the fire. There are other times where he saves you through the fire. And maybe you faced a a tragic time and a difficult time, and, and God brought you to the other side of that. But I know this for sure, God is always with you in the fire, always. That no matter what you face, that God will be with you. And the greatest benefit of a relationship with Jesus Christ is that he offers what nobody else can offer, eternal life. Jesus says to every single follower of his, I know about your suffering, I know about your affliction, I know about your poverty, I know about the slander, I know about the death, I know and I will walk with you through it. You are my sacred delight. I love you more than anything else. You are my crown jewel. You are priceless to me, and you need to know that you are absolutely untouchable. However the end comes, the end is not the end for you. You can be fed to wild lions, torched at the garden party, locked in prison, banished to an island. You may be assaulted by cancer or heart disease or by a hurricane, but the end for you is not the end because I am the first and the last, and you have a reserved seat in heaven a crown of life that awaits you there. Brothers and sisters, you will experience crisis of faith. And when that happens, there's a choice that you must make. You have to understand the cost of choosing or not choosing to follow the way of Jesus. You have to complete, you can have complete confidence in the faithfulness of God to carry you through the storm and through the fire. He is with you. He is your companion in the fire. And friends, I believe this that really the answer to our world and the challenges that we face is a change of the human heart that is based on the testimony of God's people who are living faithful lives in the midst of pressure and hard times. That's why we meet together. That's why we continue to encourage one another. That's why as the world becomes more and more chaotic, we're going to be more and more at peace. That's the reason that while things become more challenging, we as the people of God are going to demonstrate the tranquility of God. And the fact that we live a life of kindness, love, humility, and that when the laws 
of man violate the laws of God, we will humbly and honorably and respectfully follow the laws of God, always, 100%. So don't ever question what direction we might take as a church. You already know because we've already been clear. God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your grace. And God, we thank you for our time today to be renewed and refreshed. Pray for this series, God, the guys who are teaching in this series, Lord, that, that they would dive into the scripture and, they would, and they, would, they would see, God, what happened in the lives of Daniel and Esther and Nehemiah and Ezra, those who followed you in the midst of this time in the life of Israel. And God, I pray that through that, we would understand what it means to live as godly people in an upside-down world. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior, the one who walks with us in the fire.